Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your first time here in the show, well, I've got good news. It's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are, and every educator we have on this podcast, whether it's a teacher or coach, professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. We want you to be a part of this show. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the teachers in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. And on this week's episode, Tom Vishen. He's a ceramics teacher at McHenry County College, and I made the trip up to his classroom and studio where he gave me a tour of all of his cool machines and kilns and tools at his students' disposal. These electric kilns are primarily used for bisque firing. And so it goes from that, and then afterwards what happens is that's bisque work. So this has been fired to about 1,850 degrees, and now it's porous. So all the physical and chemical water has been removed from the clay, so when you dip it in the glaze, guess what? It's going to soak it in. Attaches right to the surface. We also talked about his life as an artist and his journey as an educator. It was a really fun and honestly unique chat that we don't get to have all the time on this show. We've got sandblasters, glazes, pots, kilns, 3D printers, and more here on Teacher's Lounge. But before we get into all that, we do have one more education story that you don't want to miss. 37% of high school students in the United States report regular mental health struggles. Pandemic-era federal funding has allowed schools to invest in mental health support, and I got to learn more about what that actually looks like. Students in the Lamoille School District don't have a full-time school social worker or psychologist. For tiny rural districts like it, which only has 170 students, that's not unusual. Rural schools are much less likely to offer mental health services than urban and suburban schools. Katie Shavokas is a part-time school counselor at Lamoille High School, and she says they really need a social worker. We have had such a significant increase for our m mental health needs amongst our high school students. Well, not just our high school students, all students in general. The only kids that get services are the ones with IEPs. Now, that's going to change. Shavokas recently helped Lamoille, along with a consortium of six other rural districts, win a $6.8 million federal grant to bring more mental health support to their students. Shavoka says it was her first time ever writing a federal grant, but she thinks teaming up with other small schools in desperate need of those services helped them stand out. Also, it is that we're a rural area and the statistics were astounding as far as that our kids are really in jeopardy for depression, anxiety, substance abuse. The school-based mental health services grant through the U.S. Department of Education will help all seven rural Illinois districts hire and retain mental health staff and increase the number of providers serving students. That includes five social workers, a counselor, a behavior interventionist, a school psychologist, and screeners. It also funds professional development opportunities, social-emotional curriculum, and parent outreach. There's also a licensed mental health professional who will split their time between five schools. Justin and Lamoille, they're getting their social worker along with two extra mental health professionals one day a week. And on top of that, they'll be able to retain the social work services they already provided to special education students. Retention is a crucial part of that equation. Denise Anbau is the principal at Mendota High School, another rural district which is part of the grant. She says federal emergency relief funding called ASSER has helped them add more mental health support staff over the past few years of the pandemic. 
They've been able to bring in outside counselors to give students one-on-one counseling at school. Because it's it's really hard for our parents to drive kids to Princeton, LaSalle, Ottawa, wherever they need to go for these sessions. It's 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 a burden. It's really hard for them. Mendota partnered with their local regional office of education to train in mental health first aid and how to identify students who need support. They expanded health curricula and brought in mental health professionals to present to the whole school. But ESSER is one-time funding that will expire, and it makes hiring staff more complicated when you don't know how long you'll be able to keep paying for them, especially at rural schools that have a hard time staffing these positions even when they have the money. But Anbaugh says the five-year grant allows them to continue those mental health services that they started through ESSER. That's such a benefit, especially to our rural schools, where we have such a struggle having access to these you know, mental health supports. The DeKalb Public School District is not part of that federal grant program, but ESSER funding has allowed them to significantly increase the number of mental health professionals on staff. Before COVID, the district had 35 mental health professionals, including counselors, social workers, and psychologists. And since 2020, they've added nine more, seven of which are funded through ESSER. DeKalb Director of Student Services Kyle Gertis says it was a massive opportunity. We really wanted to bolster our early intervention, early childhood up through that fifth grade, that elementary age, to ensure that we always have staff that are available to respond to students that have what we would consider more crisis needs. But that doesn't pull away from our ability to provide preventative support or to push into classrooms and provide social-emotional learning lessons that all students get. And he says the district is in a financial place to keep those positions even after ESSER expires. But not every school can keep up the mental health support that they put in place during the pandemic. There are other efforts like allowing students five mental health days off. But Gerda says you can have all the programs you want, but it won't matter much if you don't have trained people in those roles to help kids. And he says they have to because the mental health struggles so many of their kids experience aren't going away anytime soon. All right, now it's time for our conversation and ceramics studio adventure with McHenry County College's Tom Vision. It's a classroom. You're here to learn. You have assignments. These will be graded. They'll be evaluated. Yeah, we're, we're college here. Yeah. It's also a physics lab. You're taking this wet, gooey material, and you have to build something on it. If it dries too quickly, you can't work on it. If it's too thick, it it can explode. If it's not joined correctly, it can crack. If you don't apply the glaze on correctly, it can run off. We've got heat, glazes, melting, metallic oxides, gas, electric. Plus, you have to remember all the steps. Mm. And then I also talk a little bit about the psychology of ceramics. Ooh. It's it's emotional because you see things that you want to make. You want to do it right away, but the clay tells you to stop. If you don't wrap it up correctly and it dries out, you have to start over. That plays a mental toll on people. When, they have, when they've been working on something for hours and they don't wrap it up correctly or they have pinched it or pushed it too far and it collapses, there's a lot of emotions playing there. And I'm the leader of all of this. <laughs> yeah. All of these pots, I have close to 90 students in this program every semester. I make all the glazes. I fire all the kilns. I make all the clay. So yeah. I am intimately tied to all of this work. Looking around the studio with Tom, 
it's a lot to take in, especially for someone that doesn't have almost any experience with pottery, save for maybe a few small pinch pots when I was a really little kid. The classroom, studio, ceramics lab, whatever you want to call it, I imagine has just about everything that you could want as a potter. Kilns inside and outside, some of which he's building by hand. Clay, slip casting molds, pots, glazes, a sandblaster, and oh yeah, also a 3D printer. And in the middle of all of it is Tom and his students' work that he is so eager to show off. Even questions I asked Tom about his own creative process inevitably leads back to helping his students. It's his life. He lives and breathes clay. I mean, it's also on his clothes and his hair too. But every new idea, every inspiration, every new device or material, it's all in service of the program. When you do build out that time for yourself just to make art for your own satisfaction, yeah. what do you go to? Is it just throwing or like what do you, what do you do? Well, it depends. Yeah. Um, my job here keeps me busy. Where I just want to come in on the weekends and just sit down and throw, I make bottles, I make bowls, platters, and it's just put on some nice music. Yeah. And I just like making pots. And I've got my students usually are in here working. This place is always hopping on the weekends. They come in Friday, Saturdays, and stuff. On the weekends, they oh, come yeah. in. We have open studio time. That's amazing. So it's, it's like a full class on the weekends here. It's, they, they love it. There's one thing that I take pride in is I'm never satisfied. I'm always trying to find something new, something interesting. Yeah. My, my, I have a group of probably about 30 to 35 advanced students. Some uh -huh. of them have been taking clay with me since I've been full-time here for the last 15 years every single semester. So you've had students for 15? Yep. Yeah? Wow. Yep. And I feel that I have to keep the program fresh. I right. have to bring in something new, um, something to challenge them, something to think about. Um, right now, more, is, is, that the, is that the 3D printer? Is that a part yeah, of that now? Well, <laughs> that was prior to COVID. Right, right. The 3D printer, and they were suspicious about that. They thought the wheels were going to be gotten rid of. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, slab roller, the extruders, and we were all going to get cubicles, and we were going to start printing pots. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to be on there desktops. Was, yeah. And I kept saying, I'm like, you know, you guys, this is just another tool in the chest. Yeah. You know, eventually, you know, in 20 more years, there's going to be even something more interesting than a 3D printer. And once they kind of got comfortable with it and saw it, they're like, oh, this is kind of neat. But, of course, he fell in love with ceramics long before 3D printers invaded the artist's studio. Like many people, I got pulled into ceramics by wanting to throw on the potter's wheel. That's typically what people get started with? Yeah, once people sit down and they, they that challenge of centering clay and making a shape out of this gooey, mushy material, it's seductive a little bit. And so that was kind of my first taste to, in ceramics. So. Um, when I was young and I took my first ceramics class in high school, that's where it started. So I learned the basics, you know, making cups and bowls and bottles and forming and shaping. But when I went to my undergraduate and started at Northern Michigan University, I continued to, you know, improve my skills, learn, um, and I would throw forms and then I would start deconstructing and reconstructing these thrown vessel forms. And then this piece that you're looking at right here, this is relatively new. This was prior to COVID. Yeah. Um, I went back to my roots, you know, my throwing. I love throwing pots. That's why I got into ceramics. That's a lot of what my program is about. 
and we'll talk about that later on. This is a wheel thrown altered form, but with 3D printed pieces attached to it. So it's like 21st century technology ceramics meets, you know, 5,000 year old forming methods. So this is kind of a newer investigation. That piece he's showing me, it looks like a traditional pot or vase with a small base. It's intricately designed, yes, but it looks traditional, a style that's been around, like he said, for thousands of years. But then orbiting the outside is a sleek, futuristic ring, the cutting edge married and literally connected to the traditional pottery form. Like I said, he's constantly on the lookout for new ideas, new ways to bring new things to his classes. And sometimes you even need to look underground. This looks like we've got some bronze, almost. So this is a pit firing, and um, we I've had many guest artists here over the years, and each artist I learned something new from, and I look at their techniques, and then I kind of put my own twist on it. Mm-hmm. So in the fall, what we do is I have a maybe like a 6 foot by 10 foot by 3 foot deep hole in the ground back by the fire training facility. You've college. got a literal hole in the ground. Yep, yeah. and it's lined with brick. <laughs> and so my students, we do this once in the fall, right around Halloween, and we throw pots, and then we, we sand them, we polish them, and then what happens is we take saltwater-soaked corn husks, dried-out manure, horse stall bedding, pine needles. So just the usual ingredients. Lots of um, <laughs> lots of wood chips and branches and stuff like that. And we bury these. Like It's like a stew of about 250 pieces. And I built an air system to circulate air with an air blower underneath this. And so we submerge all these pots and all these different materials, and then we light it on fire. This is like a, a full like uh, religious ritual that you've it got is. going on. <laughs> it, it is an event. Yeah. It is an event. And so what you're looking at here is there is no glaze on this. This is all of the materials smoldering and burning, and the pots are kind of settling down. It takes about 24 hours for it to do its thing. And these are markings, so when you look closer... This is just a uh, baptism by fire. <laughs> That's actually... I like that one. I'm going to keep that one. Yeah, you can have that so one. So these, the, these are the corn leaves with the gold markings. The sawdust is the black with the carbon. Um, the Where's the manure at? That's right there. That's right there. <laughs> really? The manure burns really hot because they have, like, methane. Yeah. And so you get these lustry pearl kind of yeah. color there. And so it just, it smolders and settles, and then it's very random. Like, there, this is not painted. This, this was just a raw piece of clay that went in there. And then here's another is, You Did they build out a system of, like, air ventilation? Underneath it. it. So because how it goes you, down. How did you just have to, like, watch a bunch of videos and read about that? How did you even know how to do that? Well, the artist that showed this to me when okay. I was at the workshop, yeah. she used a leaf blower in a gutter. <laughs> <laughs> sure. What yeah. I did is I found a really nice industrial blower, yeah. put an air valve on it, and then did really nice piping, like metal piping underneath yeah. it, so it circulates nice and even. So almost every piece comes out perfect. 
And then this is another example of the different markings and stuff like that. They look uh, beautiful. What do you call that when outer space? Yes. Like galaxies. Yeah, it, it really kind of does look like it. What was the name? Do you know, see those like uh, pictures that they just released of like the From far the, reaches? With the web. The yeah. Web telescope. We've got like web telescope designs <laughs> going on in there. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's what they look like. Several tables in the studio are filled with his students' work. He's got newspaper clippings of them, detailed backstories, and we've got lots of pictures too over at WNIJ.org for you to go and see pictures of them yourself. My oldest student is 85 years old, and my youngest is 15. And when you put 17, 18, 19 year olds, 20 uh-huh. year olds getting their associates with 60, 70, and 80 year olds, it's never a dull moment. No. <laughs> it's never a dull moment. And, and something magical happens in the studio that you will never get at like a, like a four-year institution. A lot of hmm. the students at a four-year institution, they've been accepted to the program, they're developing a body of work. They're on a very specific track. So yeah. Yes, at a community college, anybody can take a pottery class. Yeah. There's no like, oh, I'm applying to your pottery class. And so there is an in, the, there's an incredible, uh, they help one another mm. and they feed off of one another. You know, when you have somebody that has had some life experience and they've been doing ceramics for a couple years here, and I'm not here to help, but they're in the studio working and they can help those students, it's really great. And it's like we're in our own little kind of ecosystem. So if anyone can take pottery, how do you get started? When someone joins up for the first time, they've never been in a ceramics class, how long before they actually have like something that they have you know, made with their hands that they, you know, can hold. Like how we have our first firing about three weeks into the semester, and you're going to get a chance to see the different kilns and stuff like that. I'm going to walk. You through, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to walk you through the process. Uh-huh. And some of them have had ceramics before in high school. Yeah. Some of them haven't. My philosophy is, is I assume no one's ever touched clay. So let's meet the kilns. Why don't we? These electric kilns are primarily used for bisque firing. Um, And so it goes from that, and then afterwards what happens is that's bisqueware. So this has been fired to about 1,850 degrees, and now it's porous. So all the physical and chemical water has been removed from the clay, so when you dip it in the glaze, guess what? It's going to soak it in. Attaches right to the surface. There you go. And then, obviously, you would have to clean the bottom off because this is glass. Right. It would stick to the shelf. You said 1,850 degrees? Yes. It's a lot of degrees. That's the first firing. Oh, we go hotter than that. Oh, man. Yep. So that's just bisque fire. This is actually just like a very beautiful kind of machine. Yeah. So this is a gas kiln. We fire, and this is how I was trained. This is how I was teaching. I love gas firings. There is a certain aesthetic with gas firing. That's amazing. An aesthetic to the actual piece of pottery, too? Yes, the glaze, the color, the clay body. In a real simple sense, what happens in here, this will be loaded with hundreds of pots. You get to about 1,500 degrees. You do what's called glaze reduction because all of these metallic oxides, your alumina, your cobalt, your coppers, all of those oxygen molecules are now unstable. So when you play around with that oxygen and gas ratio, you get beautiful reds, beautiful iron spotting. Lots of different things happen to these pots. And it, it takes years to learn how to fire these correctly. Sheesh. And so it's uh, quite a bit of energy to load it, time and energy. You preheat it for about six, seven hours. 
the firing cycle is about 15 hours and it goes to 2,320 degrees. And then it takes about two and a half days to cool down. <laughs> and we fire this once a week after about week number five. Right, yeah. It's very efficient, though. It's intimidating, I'm yeah. sure, when you get first getting started working with these things where you're you know, working with equipment that's going to be as hot as over 2,000 degrees. Yeah. And the other thing about my job here is safety. Then he takes me outside to see even more kilns, some of which, again, he's building himself. Okay, you ready for this one? I'm ready. This one's going to blow your mind. Whoa. This is a whole tiny building we've got out here. So, actually, my colleagues did think I was going to be moving in here. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have a cot somewhere around yeah. here? <laughs> it, it <laughs> Put was, in a small kitchen in the corner, you'd be ready to go. It was, it was, it was a big joke um, going around with yeah. my colleagues and stuff like that. So, remember when we said soda firing? Yes, we did. This is my new soda kill. New? Yep. I've been building this for two years. With the help of, which we'll talk about it, I have four people in my life that are teachers um, that have been highly influential. One is my first ceramics teacher, Margaret Sullivan, um, and she kind of, you know, I had her freshman year. Yeah. And then in my sophomore year, I had a gentleman by the name of Kurt Webb, yes. and he, she had taken a sabbatical. And... He filled in for that sabbatical, and then she came back on my junior and senior year of high school. So Margaret was a great mentor, kind of got me through school, got yeah. me in high school. And then Kurt, it was interesting. I had him that one year. Sophomore year, yeah. Sophomore year in high school. I finished high school, never saw him. I'm in my second year of graduate school. I haven't seen him since my sophomore year, and he shows up. He took a sabbatical from Glenbrook South to finish up his MFA, and we were reunited. As peers this time. Yes. He was, wow. Yeah. Huh. He, he went to finish up his MFA. I was in my MFA, and he has been such a huge part of my life, not just, you know, teaching me still after high school. I mean, he was teaching me when I was in my graduate program. Him and I have worked on this kill. We're still good friends. And when you say that you guys built this kiln, yeah. you mean that in a very, very literal sense. <laughs> yeah. So um, even at age 50, we have been front. I've known him since I was 15 years old. And I had, I had a soda kiln here that I built originally. Yeah. And it was here for about 10 years. And then what had happened was it just kind of was crumbling. Yeah. It was used brick. It was getting to the point where I didn't want it anymore. Um, and I wasn't comfortable firing it. Right, yeah. So I tore it down, and then I got a grant through the MCC Foundation to rebuild this kiln. No kidding. Wow. And it was right before COVID. <laughs> right, yeah. So it's been taken a couple years, but basically if we look into it, I'm so close to finishing this. This is all bricked together. It's with high-temperature mortar. This is an arch form right here, and you build all of this. These weigh nine pounds a piece. So this is a lot of weight, and then you pull the arch out, and it self-supports. This will all be bricked up in here because you're simply right. going to take this, close it up, this, clamp it, all the pots are in there, and then it's got a gas burner system. Um, 
and then basically what soda firing means is we go to that 2300 degrees, but at about 2000 degrees, we put a liquid solution of baking soda and soda ash. Huh. And we inject it into these ports, the different ports. Yeah. And it's so hot, it volatizes and it glazes everything in the kiln. Whoa. You don't, so, need, you don't need glaze. The kiln glazes it. So, um, and then two, we were talking about raku. Yeah. This is a raku kiln. So, um, a student purchased this for me. And they're like, oh, I really want a raku fire. I, really, I go, I don't have any money for a raku kiln. He goes, can I buy it for you? I go, sure. <laughs> Jeez. So, um, that's, ins- that's wild. So, your pots go inside here. There you go. You're a radio professional now. You basically, if you've never heard of Raku, um, how this, our version of it, it originated in Japan. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of a Western way of doing it. Is our pieces go in here? They go to about 1,800 degrees. We crank it open while it's glowing red. Yeah. We've got tongs, welding gloves, fireproof jacket. We pull them out, and then those hot pots go in garbage cans with combustible materials, a little bit of smoke, and the glazes are very lustry. You know when you drop oil in water, you get yeah. those, all those metallics? Mm-hmm. That's typically what Raku glazes look like. So it's very, And it takes about an hour to do it. So it's fast, it's immediate, it's exciting, smoke, fire. They love it. Now we're back inside the studio, and I've learned a bit about the teachers that helped mold him into the educator he is today, but I was still curious about his own journey to get to McHenry County College starting from back when he was in college. You said there was a moment where you thought about dropping out. No, I did drop out. You did drop out. I dropped out after my freshman year. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I enrolled. I lived in the dorms. hated the dorms. wasn't right for me. Yeah. And then I moved back, and I got an apartment in the city of Chicago at Six Corners, and that, I was miserable, and so that following fall semester after that summer, I packed back up and went back to school, and it was the best decision I ever made because I wouldn't be here doing this. Um, and it's, it's kind of those experiences that make me go above and beyond in my program, like, you know, helping students because I know what it's like to be in that situation of like you can't really see the end in the benefits of all the hard work and so I have a certain sensitivity when I'm in here working with students because I was there and I remember it and and I wouldn't trade it for what I have now I the McHenry County College I come in here every day and I'm just glad I'm here I love my job, and I love what I do here, and I don't take it for granted. I finished um, graduate school. I moved home. Mm -hmm. I had some debt, like a lot of people. I moved back in with my parents. I'm like, i got to pay this stuff off. I had all of these wild jobs. Like, I got a job at... um, like for forklift mechanics. Oh, I did that too, yeah. Dispatching <laughs> dispatching forklift, forklift yeah. mechanics with Nextel walkie-talkies. Sure, yeah, <laughs> of course. And that was a little crazy. And then I ended up somehow working in Rosemont, and I managed union lighting electricians. Okay, yeah, um, of course. And I was just kind of bouncing all over the place, but I taught the night class here at McHenry County College. I was an adjunct here for about seven years. 
and and so and then I also taught at another place called the Fine Line yeah. Art Center yeah. in St. Charles, Illinois. Yeah. And so that was on Saturdays, and then I taught the Tuesday and Thursday night class here at MCC, and that went on for five, you know, five, six, seven years. And then the full-time instructor, Susan Galloway, yeah. who had been here since the college basically started, <laughs> she was the main instructor, she ended up retiring, and I applied for the position along with a bunch of other people, and um, I got the job. And it was, it was life-changing. I love what I do. My job here, my life as an artist, my personal life, it's all one. It, I don't even feel like I come into work. It, and, and that's a good feeling. Was that immediate, though? Or no, no. It's As I get older, yeah. you know, I've said this before, I'm going to be 50 years old. Time is starting to move. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting a little older. It's getting a little yeah. bit more difficult. The physicality of, of working with the clay is getting a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. I you know, I, I kinda have seen the word retirement pop up. Oh gosh. Like planning like, oh, maybe ten, fifteen more years, that's it. You know, I think sometimes people might not think of ceramics and pottery as an art form that's inherently emotional. You know, it's practical. I need a bowl, I make a bowl so I can eat out of the bowl. There's a utility to it, and you might not picture people pouring their soul into it. When you're sitting there working in clay, some people may think, oh, this is just a teapot. That teapot can be a lot more Mm -hmm. than just a teapot. There could be a lot of other issues spinning around up there. A lot of other issues spinning around up there. I like that. And it came even more into focus when he showed me one of his students' pieces. I was scrambling to, to put an assortment of student workout. And I really, really like these. And they're little housing structures. Right. And it's, it kind of looks like a tin roof almost. Yeah. It's distressed. They're rough. But they're brightly colored. Yeah. So this student was making these. And I had just, you were on your way here. And I had sent her a message. I go, you made these a couple years ago, but I can't quite remember why you were doing them. <laughs> and this is where, like in my advanced class, mm-hmm. where they've gone from just learning the technical side of things and trying to develop ideas, looking at things from the outside and bringing it into their work. And she, and she just sent me this picture. She's in Puerto Rico right now. And this happened like 10 minutes before you got here. See the houses? Yeah. So in her message she she sent me, this was from, I'll read you exactly what she sent me. The devastation then happened in Puerto Rico during Hurricane Hugo. Yeah. So that's what those pieces are about. Yeah, those bright houses with all the distress on it. Yeah, because this is her mom lives in Puerto Rico. She's from Puerto Rico, but she lives here in Crystal Lake with her husband. She's visiting her mom for the next week. Oh and goodness. so she goes, she goes. Look at the background. Yeah, that's what my pieces are about. Wow, isn't that cool? That's really. I mean, and that I, has to be one I, of the most satisfying things for you as an educator, right? That you teach people the fundamentals yeah. and you teach people the basics and just the skill to be able to do it. But then over time, feel like learning who people are. Yeah, yeah. And I've met her mom a couple times. Yeah. She's great. This student, she's been with me for about ten years. That's amazing. And and but this is the magic of it. This is literally like ten minutes. I know. I, listen, ten minutes before you. I were can trust here. her because I can still see the time and date on, <laughs> on the piece of paper. <laughs> so I'm running to my computer. I'm like, I gotta hurry up and get this. So that that's the emotional side of it. 
Yeah. Like that's a, like some people may look at those and they may not even realize, oh, these are these cute little structures. They're not cute. And some of his students have even been recognized for their work. One of his students, Elaine, was even profiled here at WNIJ by our own Yvonne Boos. I pulled some of Elaine's pieces, and she was on the cover of the Northwest Herald. She got interviewed. She And know, Elaine she, is how old? Uh, I would say 85. Elaine's 85. i got to be careful, <laughs> <laughs> be careful <laughs> yeah. on that. I'm so sorry, Elaine, if we got that wrong. We'll correct that in post if we got it wrong, Elaine. Editor's note, Elaine is only 83. But way back when she graduated from the Art Institute, um, and she is prolific. Like, this this was, like, a moment in her life. It was incredible to have her own solo show. She was made it to the front page of the newspaper. She was interviewed. Um, She was on Cloud9. It was amazing. But I'll tell you this, though. Back to the 3D printing. Yeah. Even my older students... They're intimidated sometimes by email, computers, cell phones. It's hard for them. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to print. So she was willing to try 3D printing, but look what she did. She gave it her own fig. She's, she does a lot of female figures and stuff. Yeah. So she took the 3D printed form, and it morphed into that female figure. So Amazing. even she'll even do my assignments. <laughs> <laughs> so And then this is another painted piece of hers that's one of my favorites with all the underglazes and the bright colors and you know rubbing the surface and stuff like that and ceramics has taken tom across the world i went to south korea um for about four weeks and i learned i I lived with about i don't know eight different artists and they these were contemporary young artists national treasures um it was amazing i flew into seoul kind of got situated i had to find the subway, get on a bus, and then sit on a park bench. And then I was picked up um, by an artist, and we went to their house, and I lived with their family for like three days, and I learned how to make pots. And then they dropped me off to the next person, and they picked me up, and I did this for five weeks. Um, all through so five Korea. weeks, you were just at diff- different at people's di- houses, at different, people's different houses, art stations. Tebow <laughs> Masters, Celadon Masters, Blue and White Porcelain. Um, it was everything that I studied, but I actually lived it. It was, it was an amazing experience. That'd be pretty transformative. I, it, it was, it was unbelievable. I was, I came back a different person. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I learned is blue and white porcelain, and so these are paste, painted on porcelain with a clear glaze. And so this is one of my students that has, she's really good at painting, and she wanted to start taking. She loves throwing porcelain. Yeah. And she's taking her painting skills, and she's using the pot as a canvas. And she's doing your traditional blue and white porcelains that are seen in, you know, China. Oh, yeah. And in Korea. And she's starting to learn it. And you can see the different fading. It's almost like a watercolor effect on there. So these are like a narrative story. Right. And I feel like a lot of times with those porcelain, you see like, you know, very traditional designs you see like a lot of like floral prints and things like this and we've got some like really really interesting like you're saying like narrative art that i have really not seen on porcelain like that before you know i think it's time to show off some more of that cool equipment in the studio at McHenry county college one of them i didn't quite realize was used in ceramics is a sandblaster i know a sandblaster it's as cool as it sounds all right let's do it (laughs) it's not often that someone says to me it's time to sandblast, so, so we this is exciting. 
got to turn on the vent system. And it's motion activated. Oh, whoa. By the way, this is another part of the studio. Welcome to Claymixing. <laughs> We've got just trash bags on trash bags over here. <laughs> this, this keeps me in good shape. Yeah. So just so you know, our clay just doesn't come out of a pretty bag. Yeah. This is a clay mixer. Gosh. So I come in here on the weekends. Of course, yeah. And all the sloppy clay that the scraps mm -hmm. get thrown in there. There's 50-pound bags of pre-mixed stoneware. Put 150 pounds of dry mix, 100 pounds of slop. Turn that on in about 15, 20 minutes. You've got 300 pounds of recycled clay. Goes in a barrel. <laughs> yeah, that'll keep you in shape a little bit. It keeps me in shape. So this right here is your airline. When you cut it away from the pipe, it's off. When you turn it on, allows the air to go in. Yeah. We're at about 85 PSI. Okay. And this is a sandblasting booth. So the, basically, the way this works is you open the door right here. Uh -huh. You put your piece inside that you're going to sandblast. This is the sandblasting gun. Right, so this is so what you're going to use. The air blows up here, and it pulls the sand through there and blows out the tip. Yeah. And it recycles itself. It falls to the bottom, and it pulls Collects it back, back up. In, yeah. Then there's a vacuum attached to it right here that pulls out the dust and debris. So it keeps the sand clean. That yeah. makes sense? Yes. This was huge last semester. I'm sure. People flipped out over this. <laughs> so I have to give yeah. you the microphone. Yes. I will dual wield over here while you, you do this. Here and the gloves puff up. <laughs> oh. I, this is our ventilation system, so I kind of rigged this to be able to suck the dust out, so yeah. you don't have to worry about any dust whatsoever. This is a HEPA filter, and that just extracts anything. The gloves just puffed up, and we're ready to go. So you slide these on. He's putting his, kind of yeah. looking like kitchen gloves a little bit, and, and we're ready to blast some sand. We're ready to go. And we are blasting this see how this fast. Puff. Whoa. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and isn't it amazing that that vinyl stays right in place? And I'm going to go a little bit aggressive here. So we have a nice contrast of shiny to that beautiful kind of satiny surface. We reach in. We've got our cup. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> and then you just take this, snap it closed. Turn that off, and we'll go ahead and turn off the air right here, and we'll go see what it looks like. The cup, unsurprisingly, turns out gorgeous. He put vinyl stickers on the sides in various designs in order to get maximum color and texture contrast between the uncovered clay and the parts covered by the sticker. I watch him peel off the stickers and uncover a gorgeous teal blue figure eight lying underneath. You know, it's hard to get more tactile and working with your hands than that, so it feels only natural to move from that to the future, to his clay 3D printing machine. Picture a giant vertical tube filled with clay, almost like a syringe. Then a tip where clay comes out in thin strands, building your clay pot layer by layer, the tip slowly moving up as it goes. Then, a computer next to it where you use software to build your piece. There are 
thousands of configurations of texture, shape, sure. and so, but we're going to keep it relatively simple because we could do this all day. So I just need to make sure my printer settings are there, then I go to my object settings, and this is in millimeters, so that's 100, so we're going to make it 200, so it's roughly, t what is it, 25 millimeters is roughly an inch, so this is 200, so it's roughly 8 inches. I'm going to turn the visualization on to what we call extrusion so we can get a little bit better of a rendering. Pump it up here. And then this is how you shape. So I'm going to bring this to 150. Maybe make this 100. And then make this 50. So we are in real time shaping this, yes. this pot. And then they have all these really cool effects, and they call them a wave type. So there's square, sawtooth, sine wave. Those were some of the examples that I was showing you. So we're just going to pick sawtooth, and you'll see right away. See how it makes those little points? Oh, right Pretty nifty, right? I'm definitely nifty. So then basically, once you're happy with your form, I'm going to take this, and then we'll put NPR... 21 for our name and then you click one it creates a g-code file the printer reads g-code and then we need the potterware file because you can't reopen the g-code right that's the that's the code that it prints on the only way you can edit this design now is to reopen so you got to have that potterware file to be able to if you wanted to make, make any tweaks to it design right. and stuff like that so now what we're going to do is we're going to take our little bucket here. Formerly used for pickles, not anymore. <laughs> and we'll take this. So we get a, a little stream of, of wet clay that's falling off the tip here. <laughs> Pretty funny. Looking. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so now I'm just feeling this to make sure it's at the right consistency. Okay. So and that, looks, that's good. Seems good. Yeah. Okay. Because if the clay is too firm, it doesn't work. And I think that is okay, and then we're off to a good start. Okay. So we're off. And this is, I mean, this is building fast. Oh, yeah. You can control the speed, the pressure. Just raised up again for another layer. Yep. Steffi Mealy. Yeah. She's the adjunct that teaches digital media here at the college. Here at the college, yeah. And she loves clay. Right. And she has been taking ceramics for about three or four years here now. Yeah. And her and her husband are tech people. Right. They know a lot about 3D printing. They know about digital media, graphic design, all of these things. And so her and I just started plowing through this and figuring out all the little corks and and she has the skill set to build the website and do the slicing and the coding and all of these things. And so it was a real nice relationship. I was going to say, it's not just like you guys, you know, I mean, a big, obviously a big part of it is like getting the funding just for the printer. But yeah. you guys helped kind of create the, the website and the yeah. software for this to even yeah. just to be able she, to work. She did it all. Well, like, because that's that's her field of expertise, and, and I imagine other people use this. A lot of the other people use this website outside of the college and everything. Yeah. Oh, it's around the world. It's a subscription based. That's you pay a yearly subscription for it. That's pretty wild. Do you feel like being an educator 
Is that influence your creative process a lot? You know, there's a, that's a that's a great point. You know, a lot of people in ceramics, they'll develop a style and yeah. a form and a shape, and they'll make it for years and yeah. do subtle subtle shifts. Mm-hmm. And you'll 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 see that body of work. I don't have that. I kind of like my work that I make kind of ties into what I'm doing in the classroom. I'm sure, yeah, because it's on your mind all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I make pots, uh-huh. and I love making pots, you know, just traditional vessels and sure. stuff like that, and that's a big part of it. That's a lot of my students love making pots. But I go through these phases, the chicken pot phase. What phase are you in now? I have this all planned out. Eventually, <laughs> when I get the kiln done, yeah, is... When I got this 3D printer, which, by the way, we're making incredible progress right now. Yeah, it's moving along. We, we, we'll we check this here. Where are we at? We're at 95% finished. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's but incredible. It, what I do in the classroom definitely influences what I, what I make. Mm-hmm. The molds that we received mm-hmm. from Bunny, yeah. um, that led to a whole series to a solo exhibition. Those two pieces on the table are going to Northern Illinois University tomorrow. I'm delivering them to the gallery manager for a faculty, a community college faculty show. So, and I had a couple of those pieces downtown in a gallery showcasing them, and people appreciated them, and I really liked them. It was a solid body of work. But my next body that I'm interested in here, we're finished. Hold on. We're finished? We're finished. we got to stop that conversation for a second. Finishing it touches. And then it moves it right to you. Now, you, now it looks like you can touch it, but you can't. It's gooey, wet clay. Yeah. So this has to start transitioning from gooey, wet to what we call leather hard. And then you can remove it from the bat, and uh-huh. then you can attach a slab to the bottom of it. You can put some handles. You can make a lid for it. Or you can just leave it the way it is. I think we, we've got to take a photo of it. We've got to show people the handiwork that went into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. But back to that and that question of where where am I going now with yeah. my own personal work? I would like to sit down and focus on 3D printing and wheel-thrown forms in the the merging together of those Just two. like that piece that we started yeah, off with. That was the beginning of it. I, I found a lot of inspiration. I'm naturally curious. It feels good. I can, I've can done different planning and sketching of different forms, and I just need to find the time. That time, as I'm sure you can tell by now, can be hard to come by when he's putting almost all of that into the ceramics program. But over the last 15 years or so he's been a teacher, there have been a lot of memorable moments and a lot of emotional projects that meant a lot and stick with him to this day. You guys helped create an installation about, it was a mural, like a a permanent mural representing families dealing with profound personal loss. Oh, oh, that, oh, that's, that's, so that one, um, oh my gosh. So my, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> I did. You struck a chord on that one. Yeah, no, take your time, do. So, actually, I forgot that that was that was still out there. So, right around 2009, when I first started 
full-time here at the college, um, my mom had a reoccurrence of colon cancer. Oh, man. And so she had passed away, and it, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah, no. We had to deal with hospice and and... So after all of that had gone down, my mom had passed. Yeah. I was now here teaching full time. And the hospice that we used was in Barrington. I think it's called Journey Care now. It's off of Highway 14. And we did a tile project with kids that were losing. That I, we made all these tiles. It was, I think it was called Camp Courage. Yeah. And it was family and their children, and they were dealing with a loved one that had either passed or was in the process of being terminally ill. Yeah. And we did this tile project with these kids. And I had a lot of my advanced students do this with me. So it was like the 15 of us. I rolled out all the slabs. I had stamps where they could put letters and numbers and cut shapes and stuff like that. And I gave each one of these families that showed up for this Camp Courage, and I'm 99% sure it was called Camp Courage. Yeah. This threw me a curveball on this one. And we brought all the stuff there, and they decorated them, and I, we, we got it all back here, and I glazed them all, and it was way more emotional than anything I've ever experienced because some of these kids are working with their parents and their parent is terminally ill oh, or their parent had passed and my students didn't really know how intense this was going to be yeah I can't imagine that and we when we got back we didn't show it when we were there but when we got back we were like wow that was a lot that was heavy and so I brought all the tiles back it was like 15 tiles it was a group effort everybody shared and then they came out beautiful with the glazes, and then I returned them to the facility, and they're permanently installed in the entry area of the facility in Barrington. That those kids so, helped make with with their parents? Yeah. And that, that it, was, it was my way of giving back to these nurses that took care of my mom in her final months. Yeah, my gosh. And, and it was right as I had gotten the job here, and, like, it just kind of happened... And I'm like, this is this is good, but I wasn't really knowing what I was gonna. I didn't know what I was gonna feel, what I was gonna feel, or what I was expecting. I'm just like, oh, we're gonna roll some tiles, we're gonna decorate these. <laughs> right. But when we got there, holy moly! I mean, it was incredible. Like you said, sometimes there can be a lot of issues and feelings spinning around up there with your clay. And another reminder, over at WNIJ.org, you can find loads of cool pictures of Tom's students' projects. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get great guests like Tom. Please do send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, please do subscribe or leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It's really the best way to help out so we can get even more perspectives on the show. You can also subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that at this episode's webpage over at WNIJ.org. Thanks so much to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for providing the music you hear every single episode of this show. Thank you to Spencer Tritt for making our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.